This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, back on episode 37 of this podcast, it was called The Devil and the Catholic Church. In the middle of going over this subject matter, which was obviously talking about the sex abuse scandal going on within the Catholic Church, this was after the report was released uh, from the state of Pennsylvania detailing all the different abuses, I had this quote while I was flowing on the subject matter, and unfortunately, this quote ended up being a little bit prophetic. So let me go ahead and play that soundbite for you right now. I mean, I mean, some other people, and they say this ignorantly, some will say this, this is a uniquely Catholic problem, which I think is so short-sighted. Because here's the thing, research would suggest that priests commit no more abuse than other males. Think about that. So think about the Boy Scouts, think about summer camp, think about sports teams, think about, you know, uh, Protestant churches, think about them all. You know, a lot of these groups are trying to get ahead of this, right? Now, I think I even saw a report where, you know, some certain, maybe it was a Southern Baptist convention or something like that. They're trying to get on the other side of this because they sense that they're having the same problem within their flocks as well. So this is not a uniquely Catholic problem and saying so is pretty ridiculous. There you go, guys. So (laughs) here we go. If you've been paying attention to the news at all, you've seen that the Southern Baptist convention is in the news and not for the reasons that you would hope. So on February 10th of this year, so as of the recording of this podcast, it was just about a week ago or not even quite a week ago, there was a joint, uh, kind of a first part of a three-part joint research article that was being released by the Houston Chronicle and the San Antonio Express News. And the authors of this were Robert Downen, Lise Olson, and John Tedesco. And this was basically detailing 20 years worth of sexual abuse inside of churches affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. So one thing I don't want to do here is I don't want to assume that all of you know exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to this story, but even to just what the Southern Baptist Convention is, because I know some of you listening to this don't really have a denominational background. Maybe you're not even a Christian and we're, we're super and especially thankful that you guys are listening to this. But let me just kind of give you who the Southern Baptist Convention is. The Southern Baptist Convention is a United States Protestant Christian denomination. Okay. So if you don't really know what denominations are, basically uh, we, we should just have like a gospel centered view of Christianity, but obviously you can have a whole bunch of different types of people read the Bible and they get different things from it. They get different things that think we think we should do and not do within a church context. And so boom, that's why we have hundreds and hundreds of different denominations. But the Southern Baptist Convention is actually the largest Protestant denomination, uh, Protestant Christian denomination in the United States. And so members of the Southern Baptist Convention, they basically, they share resources but the individual churches are considered to be autonomous. So that is where it is different than the Catholic Church, uh, where the Catholic Church is like a gigantic network of dioceses and, and parishes and things like that. All the individualized churches are on their own, but they can utilize different resources. And my understanding is that the Southern Baptist Convention, whenever everyone comes together for those conventions and things like that, they will kind of guide them in the type of content they would like for them to focus on and things like that. So it does kind of operate as a large group, but it's more of a large group in thought, not necessarily in practice. I guess that's probably the fairest way to describe it. Uh, and basically the the members of this group, they emphasize the significance of personal conversion experiences. So some denominations of Christendom don't really have uh, that much emphasis put on personal conversion experiences. Uh, they believe in complete immersion in water for believers' baptism. They, re- they reject infant baptism and baby baptism and stuff like that. And so those are just some of the basic things about the Southern Baptist Convention. So we don't need to get too much farther into that. Let's go ahead and go into the details from part one of this report. And here's the thing about the report before we actually get into the details. It is part one. 
the assumption is that obviously they're going to be releasing part two and three. We don't know when part two and three are coming out exactly, but we can assume that they're probably taking a lot of their shots in this first one. Um, I, I can't imagine, and I absolutely reserve the right to be wrong later, I can't imagine that they're going to release parts two and three and that there's going to be some sort of additional bombshells in there that weren't as readily prevalent in the first one or something like that. Anyway, I'm assuming they're all going to be bad, but let me just go and get, go ahead and go into the details of part one. So uh, this is obviously uh, both newsrooms spent about six months looking at a whole bunch of court cases and a whole bunch of documentation to kind of put things together here. But basically, since 1998, there's about 380 Southern Baptist Church pastors, ministers, youth pastors, Sunday school teachers, deacons, church volunteers, kind of the whole gamut have faced allegations of sexual misconduct. Most of that misconduct coming with uh, children, essentially. Um, there are more uh, more of them work in Texas than in any other state, and that obviously makes a lot of sense. Texas is, you know, the, the second most populated state in the union, and obviously it's right there in the Bible Belt, so you would assume that there would be a lot of Baptist churches there. And so this report details about 700 victims and there are around 220 offenders uh, at this point have been convicted or took plea deals. Almost a hundred of them are still in prison and about a hundred of them are registered sex offenders. So the, uh, these things that I'm about to read to you right here, it's uh, four bullet points. This is actually directly from the article. So I'm just going to quote it here. At least 35 church pastors, employees, and volunteers who exhibited predatory behavior were still able to find jobs at churches during the past two decades. In some cases, church leaders apparently failed to alert law enforcement about complaints or to warn other congregations about allegations of misconduct. Next point. Several past presidents and prominent leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention are among those criticized by victims for concealing or mishandling abuse complaints within their own churches or seminaries. Next point. Some registered sex offenders returned to the pulpit. Others remain there, including a Houston preacher who sexually assaulted a teenager and is now the principal officer of a Houston nonprofit that works with student organizations, Federal, uh, federal Records Show. Its name, Touching the Future Today Incorporated. Aptly named, I guess. And the last one here. Many of the victims were adolescents who were molested, sent explicit photos or texts, exposed to pornography, photographed nude, or repeatedly raped by youth pastors. Some victims as young as three years old were molested or raped inside pastor's studies and Sunday school classrooms. A few were adults, women and men who sought pastoral guidance and instead say they were seduced or sexually assaulted. So some other details here, as many as 10 Southern Baptist churches welcomed pastors or ministers or volunteers to their churches, even though they knew that they had left their previous churches because of charges of sexual misconduct. Um, so essentially there, there were girls that were raped, impregnated, and then basically very forcibly encouraged to get abortions. And if they didn't, they were kind of excommunicated from the church, which is uh, incredibly gross. But here's the thing about this article, guys, because everything that I could squeeze out of that article that I thought would be pertinent to you, I just gave it to you just then. But the unfortunate thing is, is the details in this article were described mildly in the report. And I say, unfortunately, because I don't like when things are sterilized, especially things in this particular area. Right. If you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know that I don't like to sterilize things. If there's a way that it can be described, I don't try to make it more graphic. I just try to make it as I try to describe it as accurately as possible. Right. I feel like that's the most prudent thing to do. But the thing about it is, is when you sterilize things around this particular subject, it leaves us open to softening the reality in our brains. 
right? We talk about every time we've talked about abortion, about we need to get rid of the euphemisms. Like it's not terminating a pregnancy. It's not choice. It's not healthcare. It's murder, right? It's the stamping out and the ripping apart of a human life. The same thing applies here, that we don't want to sterilize things because it affects our brain, but we'll get more into that here in just a little bit. Uh, The thing that I found interesting about this report is I heard about it a couple of weeks ago. So we already knew we were going to do a two-part series on toxic masculinity and that we were going to do a part on, um, you know, me getting my blue belt and and kind of everything surrounding jujitsu. But this thing just kind of hung in the air, and I knew I was going to talk about it after all of those. But the craziest thing is I feel like nobody is talking about this report. Nobody. I feel like I talked to so many people about the report inside of the Catholic Church that came out. Now, it was a much more uh, wide-ranging report, and, and it just. but the thing was it just, just got so much more media play. And so I've spent the last couple of weeks wondering, like, why is no one talking about this? Even people that hate Christians, people that hate the church, they're not jumping on this in the way that I think that I thought they would. And so there's a few reasons why. And so these are just the ones that came to my, you know, limited Neanderthal brain. And the first thing is something called Trump derangement syndrome. Some of you guys have heard of this TDS, Trump derangement syndrome. This is basically where people that typically disagree with Trump, people that are on the left or people that just don't like Trump or they're never Trumpers, whatever the thing is. Every single thing in their life has to do with Trump, good or bad, right? Every single thing. So if something goes bad for them in their personal lives, it's level 10 freak out. Like they're freaking out, right? There was just a report about people that don't understand how taxes work. They're basically like, oh man, I'm not getting as much money back in returns this year on my taxes. Dang it, Trump, right? It was just everything had to do with Trump, right? But right now, at this point in history, right? If you're listening to this on time, the wall is everything. Everybody's talking about the wall. Whether you agree with us having a wall on the southern border uh, separating us from Mexico, or you don't agree with it, or you think we need other parts of uh, immigration reform or whatever the thing might be, that's all anyone can talk about, right? Which goes right in line with the shutdown, because that's what everyone was talking about not that long ago, even though most people, including the people listening right now and the most of the people that you know, their lives weren't affected in any way, shape, or form by the shutdown. Not one way. But anyway, that, that's like a, a big deal that we have to talk about. Everyone's got to talk about that. But also in the last you know week to 10 days, we've seen a ton of Democrats come out and officially announce that they are going to be running for president in 2020. I mean, a slew of them, right? There's just been so many different stories for us to focus on that this seemingly is just kind of falling through the cracks somehow. And another reason I think that more people aren't talking about this right now is that the Southern Baptist Convention is not seen in the same way or or as having the same magnitude as the Catholic Church, right? So just to kind of give you some numbers to give you an idea, there are around 15 million members of the Southern Baptist Convention in the United States. That's a lot of members. And that's around 50,000 different churches, right? So that's, that's a huge number, a huge number of people associated with the Southern Baptist Convention. But just in the United States, the Catholic Church has around 70 million members. So Southern Baptist Convention, 15 million. Catholic Church, 70 million members at about 20,000 parishes, right? So way less organizations, but way more membership. But here's the other thing. The Southern Baptist Convention doesn't really go outside of the confines of the United States, right? Like they don't just have membership all over the place. But there are 1.3 billion, billion with a B members of the Catholic Church worldwide and around 222,000 parishes worldwide. 
And the thing about the Catholic Church sex scandal is it wasn't just that one little area in Pennsylvania, right? If you haven't listened to that episode number 37 of this podcast, I would absolutely suggest that you go back and do that. You got to go back and listen to it because I don't want to, you know, belabor a bunch of the same points. But the reality is, is that the, this is a problem with within the Catholic Church writ large, right? And and there were different pockets of these controversies all over the world, all over the world. This wasn't just something in Pennsylvania. This wasn't just something in the Northeast. Certainly wasn't just something in the United States or the West. This was basically ubiquitous within the Catholic Church. So that's probably why that seemed a little bit bigger and why people were more so willing to talk about it. And then also the last point here, and I kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, the Catholic Church is more interconnected than Southern Baptist churches are, right? Because there's really a network system of the Catholic Church, right? Because you you have the Vatican and the diocese and the parishes and you have all these different things. There's not really that with the Southern Baptist Church or the Southern Baptist Convention churches, right? You don't really have that level of interconnectivity, right? There are even churches that are affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. They have multiple sites and different things, but at, at different points, they're not really communicating in the same way that a diocese or different parishes would be communicating. And so those are just some of the reasons why I thought that no one was talking about this. And I know a lot of you guys think about this stuff as well. And you may have been wondering the same thing. If you've come up with additional reasons, hit me up, just email me at info at undaunted.life. I'd love to hear your point of view. But at this point, I feel like I need to just kind of remind everybody where I sit on this, because I feel like there were a lot of Catholics that were very, very defensive of Catholicism when this whole thing came out, uh, the, this big report that was released last year in 2018, And from what I can see, there's a lot of Baptists right now or or just Protestants that are being defensive about this now. And obviously there are major issues and there's a very bloody and ridiculous history between uh, Protestants and Catholics, obviously being on opposite sides of very integral cornerstone issues. But there's like infighting right now. It's almost as if there are Catholic Catholics that are really excited that it's not just them, that the Southern Baptist Convention is getting a little bit of heat right now. And the same is true in the in the opposite. Right. Southern Baptist Convention folks were like, oh, yeah, those Catholics, they just wanted to, to point at them without being able to look in the mirror and see what's going on themselves. But this is the part where I feel like I need to remind you what my personal stance is when it comes to outcomes for rapists. Before we get into any of the other things in this podcast. Outcomes for rapists, and I'm going to continue to say this, I think that there are only three appropriate outcomes for rapists or child molesters, right? The first is castration. The second is death. And the third is castration and then death. I think those are very, very appropriate outcomes for these individuals, right? In the last podcast, I talked about how there's only six states that have the death penalty for for rape or child abuse, only six, and no one's ever been executed on any of those laws. Super, super weak laws, super weak language. I mean, I remember hearing this story about something that happened in Brazil. And I got to be honest with you, if this is a sin, then, you know, maybe I'll be convicted for it later. But there was this Brazilian, I think he was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach. He was an MMA or a Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach. But essentially, he raped his, uh, I think it was his son-in-law. His son-in-law was like um, one and a half years old, right? Basically married the mom who already had the boy or, or whatever the thing was raped a one and a half year old kid. So he gets caught and he goes to prison, but the prison system in Brazil is not like the prison system in the United States where, you know, there's a lot of States that take a lot of care to make sure that child rapists are not in with the general population, right? That they're maybe in their own area. You've heard about Jerry Sandusky with Penn state. 
this guy in, in the state of Pennsylvania, they keep all of the child rapists and molesters and all that. They keep them basically in a separate wing of the prison so the general population can't get to them because they know what happens to child molesters in prison. Brazil doesn't have that. It's basically all general population. It's all gin pop out there in Brazil, at least at the, the, the prison that this guy was at. And so the guys inside found out what it had happened. They found out what this guy did. And I'm not advocating for this, guys, so don't try to twist my words later. I'm just telling you what happened. Essentially, all the guys in the prison, they held this guy down and they just repeatedly raped him. I mean, they just gang raped him one right after the other, right after the other, right after the other. And as you can imagine, with that particular area of the body, it's sensitive to stretching and all those different things. And so this guy was pretty well torn up. Because they didn't just, you know, rape him. They beat him up a little bit and did all those different things. So he goes to what would essentially be the infirmary there. And he gets basically patched up and, you know, nursed back to health. But then again, they don't have a separate wing for this guy. So they just release him back to general population. And what I just described to you happened all over again. They did it right back to him. So this guy's basically healing up from all, all the things that had happened to him. And they just go after him and do it again. Okay. So again, I can't say that uh, that's something that I would advocate. I can't say that that's something that that made me happy, but I, but I will say in the back of my mind, there was just something maybe in the justice part of my heart that was just like, ah, well, that's kind of what you get, man. I mean, you you got raped by a bunch of a bunch of like you know animal guys, you know, just you know a bunch of just prison dudes that just heard what you did and it didn't fly with them. And man, sucks for you, but maybe you shouldn't have raped a little kid. It just is what it is. But let's digress just kind of a little bit here because. I want to talk about what all this means, right? Because there's so many things to talk about here. There's so many different areas that you could go and there's so many different things that you could discuss, but I just want to kind of pull out a few. The first thing is, is that reports that are coming out about sexual abuse, you could already just assume you could have maybe decades ago, just kind of written it in an envelope, sealed it and opened it later just to make sure your prediction was correct. You knew it was going to be looking at the church first. Because again, there's nothing unique about abuse within the church, but you would know that most of these journalists, most of these lefty journalists would want to attack the church. Anytime they can make the church look silly or stupid or evil, they're going to take that opportunity. So we saw it with the Catholic church first. We've seen that a couple of times. Now we're seeing it with Protestantism, right? And and it's probably certainly not the last time we're going to see that within Protestantism, but then I feel like it's going to go to everyone else second, right? It's going to go to, you know, your, your camps, your, uh, your schools, your traveling basketball teams. It's going to go to that stuff later, but here's the deal guys. I'm okay with that. To be quite honest. I mean, I think we should call out this evil and this, this child abuse, evil and this sin in every single pocket of, of society. But I'm completely okay with these people attacking the church first because the church is clearly, and I'm talking about the capital C church, not the Catholic church, not any particular church in general, just the, 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 you know, the, the bride, right? The bride of Christ. It's not regulating itself very well. So I'm completely okay with other folks kind of coming in and blowing the whistle completely okay with me, right? So I've heard a lot of people kind of complain, well, oh, this is just a bunch of lefties trying to, you know, get at the church and make it look bad, blah, blah. Guys, the church is doing the job of making itself look bad pretty good on its own. Just because someone's shining a, a spotlight on it doesn't, and there's no pun intended because of the movie that was released several years ago, but just because somebody is kind of revealing it to you doesn't mean that it, it was something they created. They're just pointing the finger, right? They're just basically pointing and say, hey, look over there. This is bad. Everyone should be looking over there right now. But here's the other thing. 
we, we got to look at kind of how predation happens. Like how do these predators do what they do? These guys are using trust. And if, and if you looked at any of the psychological studies of people that are predators, their predation is basically using trust in familiar environments because familiar environments breed trust like churches, like ball fields, like, you know, particular family members, houses, those types of things. And familiar people breed more trust. So if you're a little kid and you're brought to this church over and over and over, and you're seeing the same people over and over and over, it's a very, very easy place for a predator to hide. And because you have this generalized trust, right? It's just something, I know this is just a random thought, but every time I've been in a train station, the people that are like standing really, really, really close to the tracks, like looking down on their phones and there's a bunch, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of people walking around them, the level of trust you have in humanity in general, that someone's not just going to walk up to you when the train's coming and just push you onto the tracks. It's pretty incredible. Most people just have this very, very generalized trust for humanity, but that's exactly what these predators are preying on, right? But the other thing, and, and this is probably the biggest thing, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about it just because I, I, I don't really know how to, how to fully describe it, but it just hit me while I was preparing for this podcast. Guys, doesn't it just seem like there's something a little bit different about sexual sin? I mean, there's just something different. It's just like, it's a unique hold on men for whatever reason. And I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 6 in verse 18, we see every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And guys, it, there's just something different here. When we're talking about sexual sin in this way, I mean, in some of the links I'm going to provide to you later, there's interviews with some of these guys, some of these church members, former pastors and former volunteers, Sunday school teachers, kind of talking about what they were doing. And there's this one guy in particular, an old guy. So in the article I'm going to provide for you later, I think it's the very, very first video as you're, as you're kind of flipping through the article, he's basically acting like he was the victim. He was trying to present himself as, as a hero and a victim at the same time. He's like, man, I'm the one that told the detective that I used, that I would touch this girl. He wouldn't have known otherwise. Like, I feel like I'm the victim. I'm being penalized for telling him I've led five, 600 people to the Lord. And, and now this is how I'm going to be defined. Yeah, that's how you're going to be defined, buddy. Sorry. That's how this game works. But the depravity of men like this, and, and I know women do this and all that, but again, this is men's podcast. So that's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm gonna focus on. But I don't understand how it has such a strong grip. Like, and I know for other guys, you know, chemical dependency is more, uh, more ever present than that type of a thing. But again, we're, we're given this in first Corinthians where it's just like, basically there's something different in kind with sexual sin. I'm not saying that God looks at it differently or that Jesus, you know, is, is covering it with his blood differently, but it just has a different kind of grip from us or a grip on us rather. And so that's just something that I'm pondering. And so there, there might be a future update on something like that when we get into more talking about sexual sin, because gosh, I just know so many guys that deal with this. So maybe it manifests itself in voyeurism, looking around, uh, they can't bounce their eyes from women as they're walking by, you know, for other guys, it's pornography and masturbation for other guys. It's, you know, cheating on their wives or, you know, uh, homosexuality, like same sex attraction, all these different things. It, it manifests itself in so many different ways, but it just, it just has its hooks in so many of you guys. And it's, it's just, it's an interesting thing for us to be looking at and something we should probably think more about. But guys, to go back to episode 37 of this podcast, there were five things I talked about 
at the end of that episode, because you know me, I don't like to just be descriptive. I like to be prescriptive as well. There were five things I said in terms of, hey, guys are like, well, what can we do, right? What can we do about all this? And I'm not going to go through all these in detail. I'm just going to list them here. But the first is uh, call it what it is and to basically call it pure evil, right? A lot of individuals are not basically calling this what it should be called, right? They're like, oh, this is unfortunate or this is this is bad or this is something that shouldn't have happened. Yeah, all that's true, but it's pure evil, like in its most basic form. The second thing I talked about is that we need to get the death penalty for rape or child sex abuse after the first offense, right? And I spent a lot of time detailing all these different laws at these different states. And as I mentioned earlier, there's only six states that have it on the books, but nobody's used it. All these states, basically, it's like, ah, well, you know, the first time it happens, we'll just kind of give you a redo, right? I think I called it a mulligan in that last episode. It's like, man, like there, there's nothing else that serious that we would take seriously, uh, you know, in terms of a redo. And I, I use the example of like, what if they gave you that a mulligan with murder, right? Yeah, I know, you know, kill that one guy and it's really, really bad, but you know what? There's just something about you that I really like. So uh, let's just give you another chance. Sorry, I'm just kind of out on that. I don't really understand that. The third thing was uh, there must be a a purge inside of the Catholic Church. And so I talked specifically about that. And that can certainly apply to the Southern Baptist Convention. The fourth thing I mentioned was this fight must occur from within. Right? Because everyone was getting really, really, really talented at pointing the finger from outside of the church. Right. And I'm talking about the Catholic Church specifically. There were a lot of people that just they love to kind of look in, peek in, point their finger, you know, wag their finger a little bit and then kind of move on with their day. But it was obvious that that wasn't doing much to change the Catholic Church. If anything, it made them a little bit more secretive on the things that they were doing, but it wasn't terribly effective overall. So that was another thing. And the last thing I mentioned in the last episode was we can never be quiet. There's so many guys that see something. It seems off. It seems awry. There's just something about that youth pastor that just, you know, it hits me in the gut differently. There's something about that coach whenever he looked at my son or my daughter and it just didn't really make sense to me. But, you know, I just wrote it off because I just believe everyone's generally good and generally okay. And, you know, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, right? I don't want to get anybody in trouble and all those different things. And so I, I still stand by those five things that we talked about last time. But since then, there's obviously been a lot that's happened. And, you know, uh, I've, I've had other experiences and things like that. So I think there's quite a few additional considerations for any thinking Christian. And I'm certainly, uh, for those of you that are still in and listening to this podcast, I feel like you're, you're thinking Christian, man, you want to make sure you have a good point of view on all this. And the first thing, the first additional consideration that I would have for you is that boundaries and guidelines will never work 100% of the time. So what do I mean by that? Essentially, I've heard a lot of churches, and you guys know that I really like Matt Chandler down in Dallas. There was apparently something, there was a church that the village, there was a church camp of some kind that the village was attending. And uh, I, I can't remember the details, guys, so if I get this a little bit wrong, I apologize. But essentially... I don't think any children from the village were affected by what had happened, but there was sexual assaults and sexual deviance that had happened at this camp. And, you know, they were basically being very, very open with the, with the church about what they were attempting to do and all those different things and yada, yada, yada. But they detailed how much they put into this, how much they themselves uh, have kind of put into these different guidelines and boundaries. And there's actual companies that come in to basically put these boundaries and guidelines in there. But guys, The reality is, is that these churches and these ministries and these schools or these groups, whatever, they will lull themselves into a comatose stupor thinking that they're squared away. Satan's going to get through y'all. 
And that's not me advocating that. All right, let's just not do anything. I, I'm for boundaries and I'm for guidelines. I'm for any way that we can stamp these things out and bring them to the light. I'm absolutely for those things. But this idea that you, if you go to a church that has these boundaries and guidelines in place, that you're just good to go is so absurd. It's ridiculous. You know better than that. You've seen better than that. You've experienced better than that to know that that's something that's real. And again, let me repeat, I'm for boundaries. I'm for guidelines. I'm for these companies making money in a capitalistic society to bring these guidelines and boundaries to people because they're effective, but they're not foolproof. So that's something to think about. Another consideration is we have to be real about pornography's influence on a lot of this sexual deviancy. And again, guys, I know, you know, this is a sore subject and sometimes ministries get into this and they turn it into being a little bit too emotive or they don't really describe it accurately or doesn't really agree with your palate or you don't really care, whatever the thing might be. But society doesn't care about this, right? This is just a normal everyday thing that we're constantly able to, to look at pornography and think that it's not having any effect on our brain, on the scripting of how we, we feel like sexual acts should go. You know, we see stats about how young kids are when they see it, but then for whatever reason, it like mortifies us at the thought of a five or six year old looking at it, but a 15 or 16 year old, it's just okay. Right. Because they're developing and you know, it's just boys will be boys or this is just natural or, you know, girls can express themselves in whatever they want, they, whatever way they want to. And it's completely okay. But there's a reality here. There are so many individuals. So, so let's think of extreme examples. Let's think of individuals. Just recently, I finished watching a little five or six part series on Ted Bundy. Perhaps the most insanely horrifying and scary serial killer of all time, because the dude was so, so talented, had a tremendous personality. He was like a magnetic type of person. He wasn't the shut in, you know, he, he wasn't Jeffrey Dahmer. He wasn't the guy that everyone kind of assumed was a weirdo, but they, they didn't really think that he was, you know, going to kill people and like eat them. Like he didn't think any of that. But this guy details, if you, if you watch it on Netflix, if you watch this documentary, it goes into detail about, uh, in, it's very, very little detail, but into the amount of depravity that Ted Bundy had in his life when it came to pornography. And we see this with a lot of guys. We see guys that start out with just, you know, regular pictures of, you know, bare breasts. And then it's like, okay, bare breasts and a vagina. Okay. And then it's sexual images and then it's video and then it's video of adults. And then it becomes one of those things that they can't get off. Right. So essentially what I'm saying, guys, is they can't get an erection or they can't come because the things that they're seeing in their head, it's just not doing it for them anymore. So you see these guys that will get into either hardcore pornography, they'll get into rape pornography. There's snuff films like that have, have certainly been around where basically a woman is forcibly raped and then she's murdered on film. And then you also have people that instead of going towards the extreme end in terms of what I just described, they're going to go towards the young end. So they're going to start looking at teenage pornography and then they're going to work themselves all the way down to child pornography, right? And we always want to look at it like, oh gosh, that's just when we heard about Jared from Subway, it's like, oh my gosh, how could this guy have all that? Is it really that hard to see how this guy could like spiral down to something like that? He didn't start there. He probably started where most of us did. Right. We, we go over to a, a friend's house or we go over somewhere and, you know, you, you got your buddy who's got, you know, a couple of magazines under his bed or, you know, goes into his dad's closet and finds him in there or whatever the thing might be. That's where it all started. But but guys don't start with rape porn. They don't, they don't start with, you know, uh, raping of children. They don't start with any of those things. Right. They work themselves there. So there's a tremendous amount of influence that pornography has on all this. But we just don't either want to acknowledge it or we just think, oh, it's just kind of par for the course. There's nothing we can do about it. 
And guys, I just don't know what to tell you other other than that. Like if you're looking at pornography or if you're, you know, your kids are and you're just kind of allowing that, that's the type of thing you're opening yourself up to, right? That doesn't mean that everybody that looks at pornography is going to end up being a serial killer or a rapist or any of those things. But the thing about it is, is pretty much everyone that's a serial killer or a rapist looks at pornography. So think about that a little bit. Another consideration here is that I think that we should stop allowing euphemisms to soften this for us when we hear about it. So again, we hear about these stories and even if we're hearing about individualized stories from, you know, maybe local news or something like that, guys, it's not quote unquote sexual abuse. It's not, you know, sexual misconduct or, or inappropriate touching. Like we have to think about this. And I talked a lot in more detail in episode 37, but you had, you had these priests that were shoving crucifix into body parts of children, right? Shoving a crucifix up the butt of a boy, shoving a cru- crucifix into the vagina of a girl forcibly mouth raping these boys and girls and then coming in their mouths. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little explicit here. And then washing their mouths out with, with holy water. Did y'all, y'all remember hearing that? So, so when you think about these things and you hear these phrases like sexual abuse and inappropriate touching or whatever the thing is, no, 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 no. That, that makes it seem like it's just some sort of thing that happened. That was unfortunate. No, these children are being raped. These old men are getting hard, pulling the clothes off of these children and forcibly sticking parts of their body into holes of the other person. I I mean, I'm sorry to make you guys think that, but at the same time, I don't think I'm that sorry. You have to understand the level of depravity here. This is not a small issue. This is not something that you can hear on the news and think to yourself, oh man, that's really unfortunate. I'm glad that didn't happen to me and move on with your day. Like this is something that should stick with you. Or even thinking about it this way, if it makes you too uncomfortable to think about kids, think about a, a single mother who, you know, is having a, a, a bad way of going about things, maybe maybe hard to find work or, or it's hard to stay off drugs or alcohol or something like that. And you come to a pastor, right? You find your way into a church and you think to yourself, man, I, I feel something here. You know, maybe it's the Holy Spirit. That's what you're feeling. And then you go into the pastor's office and then all of a sudden he starts touching you and rubbing your shoulders. And then basically trying to get you to sit on his lap, tell him more about your problems. Like these are things that have actually happened, guys. I mean, we we got to stop basically sterilizing all of these things. We got to stop it. It's not helping us. You know, maybe it helps you sleep at night and maybe it helps you just kind of move on with your day. But every time you do that, you're missing out on opportunity to see the fullness of the depravity of sin. Because if you don't understand the depths that sin can go, then you also don't understand the fullness of the grace and and the the covering of judgment that we're going to be getting from God. You don't understand that. So I would encourage you all to consider that as well. To, To continue going, we as members of churches need to encourage our churches to utilize due process, right? Here's the thing, guys. I can't think of anything that would be much worse than being uncredibly accused of child sexual abuse, right? And so a lot of these people that put forth charges, uh, they are putting it forth on people that have done these things, right? But there are certainly cases as well where these people have not done these horrible things. So for churches to just go to the opposite extreme and anybody that brings, you know, brings up some sort of a misconduct charge, they just believe it, fire the person and get them out and brand them, you know, as this child abuser or sexual abuser or something like that. I don't think that that's very effective. I think that they should utilize due process. But the next point here for you to consider is encourage churches to let the local magistrates investigate. One thing that we've seen with the Catholic Church and with the Southern Baptist Convention is that they keep doing these quote-unquote internal investigations, right? 
Well, guess what, guys? Surprise, surprise. Internal investigations lead to corruption and cover-ups. And that's the thing is you've heard this before. The cover-up is typically worse than the crime. If you would have just, you know, been honest about the crime from the beginning, it's still awful, but you basically doubled down on it by covering it up, by trying to cover it up. Like who has ever successfully gotten away with a cover-up about something this big? It doesn't happen, right? It's ridiculous. And so when, when we're not, we should encourage our churches, guys, to allow the law to help. This is what they do for a living. You as an internal entity, you do not have the resources or the experience to basically do these investigations. You have to bring in the police. You have to bring in the law. And and we should not be scared of that as church members. Like, honestly, so what if there's a complaint at your local church, whether it's big or small, and they bring the, the law in to, to help them and they find out that the that all this was true. They find out that this this volunteer had been raping kids or molesting little kids or whatever the thing was. So what? So so your church is in the news for something horrible like that, but wouldn't you like the end of that story to be? And they encourage uh the, the law to get involved. They investigated this and found out that it was true, and now this this member of the church is being punished. Right. This former member of the church, this this former pastor, this former whatever, they're no longer going to be around kids in your area anymore. They will be forever branded as as a child sexual abuser. They're going to be a registered sex offender. Isn't that of the available endings to the story? The best one. Because, again, the sin already happened, that the thing already happened. We can't go back in time and erase it. But let's just embrace the fact that, hey, we've seen it. We've seen the depravity and we're stamping it out. And to those ends, to those last two points, guys, we have to encourage our pastors to have balls. I mean, so much of these stories, when I'm reading about these internal investigations that lead to corruption and cover up, I'm seeing pastors that just don't have the stones to get rid of these people, right? For whatever reason in their brains, they're trying to, they're trying to say, well, yeah, this is a bad situation. It's bad for these kids. It's bad for the family, but gosh, I just, I don't really want to embarrass the church. I don't really want to embarrass this guy and his family. We got to consider his family as well, right? You know, we can't just basically be loud about it. I'm not saying shout it from the rooftops, but at the same time, our our pastors have to be really, really on top of these things. And I'm and again, when I'm saying that, I'm assuming that this pastor isn't part of the problem. But I think that we can credibly assume that if your your local church has six people on staff, that all six of them aren't doing this. Somebody has to stand up for what's right. Someone has to stand up for the the standard, the sexual standard that God has given to us, right? And so I think that's important, and we should encourage our pastors to do that. And the last thing here, guys, is we have to be vigilant. As men of God, as, you know, if you're considering yourself to be an alpha dog or a sheep dog or whatever those things are, right? We have to be vigilant. So if you get that feeling, that gut feeling, that visceral feeling that there's something off. There's something weird about your cousin. There's something weird about that guy. You have to be able to investigate that a little bit on your own. Now, within reason, don't go up into someone's face. Like I said, to be non-credibly accused of child abuse is probably one of the worst things that could possibly happen to a human being, but you have to be able to be paying attention. And I was just talking about this with my wife today. She and I don't have kids yet. We we certainly would like to have children. We'd like to have a family. And we were just talking about, babe, you know, I've heard about families that don't allow their kids to go do sleepovers, which seems extreme because she and I both had tons of sleepovers when we were kids. We had kids at our house. We went over to other people's houses and neither one of us experienced any type of issue. But there's a lot of kids that are sexually abused at sleepovers. 
There's a lot of kids that are sexually abused by babysitters. And sometimes those babysitters are members of the family, right? Their brothers, their uncles, their cousins, their their whatever, their grandparents. So it's like you have to toe that line between being, you know, the protectors of your children, but at the same time, not being so alarmist because you guys have probably heard this before. Like, you know, the, the, the odds of a child being abducted today are so much lower than they were back in the fifties. But back in the fifties, you could just be a latchkey kid. No one ever think about something. No one ever think twice about it. But today, if there's a kid playing by himself in the park, someone's calling the police that they're going to show up, take the kid back to his house. And those parents might be brought up on charges of child neglect, right? We've seen stories about that before, but this is the encouragement to you guys that if you get that feeling, do what you need to, to investigate, ask questions, confront people, right? That's one thing about these child sexual predators. A lot of these guys are cowards, right? When, when they're found out like, oh gosh, they're running the world whenever nobody knows about their depravity. But as soon as they're caught, they just melt into a puddle of just pansy, just cowardly. Uh, it's, I'm just like literally sitting here like sweating because I'm so mad about stuff like this. And I'm just thinking of myself, have I literally been so busy or had my, my head in my phone or just been too focused on other things? Have I missed people in my life that were doing this to children? Have I missed people in my life that were taking advantage of women that came into their offices? Could I have potentially stopped something like this? Right. And I'm not sitting here feeling a tremendous amount of guilt because to, to date, there hasn't been someone like that, that I was around that, you know, Later on down the line, well, I guess there's one person. There was a there was a high school coach that was always hitting on my girlfriend whenever I was a senior in high school, and I always thought that was weird. But it's like, ah, oh, he's just a gross dude. But now that guy's in jail because he had a relationship going with a 16 year old girl a couple of years after I graduated. But what would I have done? Like I'm thinking to myself, like I was 17 years old. What was I supposed to go to the principal and be like, hey, I think that guy's hitting on my girlfriend? Like, how, where would that have gone? But at the same time, so what? Would I have gotten in trouble for that? No. Like. Gosh, man, see something, say something. It's kind of one of those things, like when you look at any types of training on, you know, uh, counterterrorism or being left to bang or anything like that, it's just like, don't take any sign of something out of the ordinary and just think it's not nefarious. Assume that it's nefarious and be proved wrong later. There's nothing wrong with being proved wrong later. So um, anyway, guys, I know, again, heavy subject matter. And uh, a lot of this stuff was, was a little bit graphic when it kind of goes into those types of things. But again, that's what I want to make sure that you guys are thinking about. I want y'all to be thinking about this in the most appropriate terms possible. And I know that this is hitting home for a lot of you guys, because I know some of you guys listening to this have been on the receiving end of this type of abuse. And man, I'm not qualified to help you with that. I'm just not like... There's so many things when, when guys come to me and they're kind of telling me issues, it's like, shoot, what the heck am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say about this? But guys, if you got no one else to tell, tell me. I mean, the statistics are just, they, it's so, so unnerving and so sad, but the overwhelming majority of kids that were abused when they were children or, or adults today that were abused when they were children, never tell anybody. They never come forward. Now, that's part of the reason why I think that we should get rid of statute of limitations on these child abuse laws, because you have someone that was abused when they were five years old. Now they're 45. And the person that they want to come out and basically tell everybody, tell the world that this is what happened to them. Well, it's beyond the statute of limitations. They can't arrest that guy anymore or gal. Right. They can't do that. And I think that should be taken out. If you're credibly accused and they can provide evidence that that's what you did. Sorry, I think you should go down as if you were you know, caught 39 years prior to. I don't think it matters. Right. You can't just be like, ah, oh, well, I murdered a guy, but it was 40 years ago. No big deal. Like you can't do that. But 
Guys, I'm, I'm dead serious, and I'm just kind of flowing here at the end. If this has happened to you and you haven't told anybody, tell me. Hit me up, info at undaunted.life, info at undaunted.life. That's the email. You know, we'll get in there and, you know, I'll respond to the email. I'll give you my cell phone number. We can talk about it, or maybe we can talk about it over Instagram, like on the private messages, or, you know, you can do little voice memos or whatever, but you got to tell somebody, man. And I'm just going to, again, right up front, I have no idea what I would say to you, but I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to you. I might encourage you to do a few things on the back end. Uh, I'm going to be basically praying at that exact moment that you're telling me for God to give me the words, because I certainly won't have the capacity to come up with anything that's going to be cogent or, or helpful on my own. But, but man, uh, I feel, I feel really, really uh, sad for some of you guys that have gone through that. I, I've never had to deal with something like that. Um, but it makes it so much more sad and it multiplies it, it at the thought that you've never told anybody. So if there's a way that we can help you out through this ministry or even just me personally, you just got to let me know. All right, guys, before I let you go, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know by now, we are a men's ministry, and our mission is to cultivate manly resilience. And specifically, we do that by providing you guys content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So today, we're going to work on the mental resilience stuff. Just three things really quick here. Again, I mentioned that this was a joint report released by the Houston Chronicle and the San Antonio Express News. It's the exact same thing. It's called the abuse of faith. So I want you guys to be able to review those on your own. I want you to be able to click on the ancillary links and all the other miscellaneous materials that are part of that. But then also um, Matt Walsh, again, uh, we we talk a lot about the Daily Wire because we really like a lot of the stuff that they put out there. Matt Walsh was kind of all over the, the Catholic scandal. This guy is a Catholic, but he released an episode of his podcast recently basically talking about sex abuse and the crisis within the Southern Baptist Convention, Southern Baptist Church. And so I have the YouTube link to that there, but also this is episode number 195 of the podcast. So if you have the, if you have Google play or or iTunes or any of those types of things, Apple podcasts, just go to the Matt Walsh show and just look for episode 195. If you don't want to watch the YouTube link. All right. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We really, really do appreciate it. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. If we deserve a five-star review, leave us one. Also, please hit us up if you want us to come speak at any of your events. So if you want me to come speak on your podcast, if you want me to speak to your church or to your men's group or at your your seminar or whatever you want, hit me up, info at undaunted.life, info at undaunted.life. Our website is www.undaunted.life, and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which I saw them play live last week. It was super dope. And that is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah. 